1: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
0: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Down uh-huh. Yeah. Let it bump.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper incredibly esteemed awesome times awesome fantabulous spectaculario ripper good bloke officially a lawyer esquire co-host andrew d bailey esquire the esquire came too soon but let's congratulate andy for officially passing his bar exam like i told him he would even though he never (laughs) believes me because he's a hater um
1: hey i didn't believe anyone so you're not alone there
0: all right, that makes me feel a little bit better. But if anyone's interested, I'm not important enough in Andy's life to get a text message that he passed the bar, even though we talk about it ad nauseum. I found out on Twitter, just like the rest of you, and then I angrily texted him um, and made the situation about me because that's that's how I roll. Um, we're going to do our Southwest division preview today. Before we get started, just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone – to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. If you're looking to get Andy a gift for him officially passing his bar, if you haven't gotten him a gift from when he graduated law school, please, all he wants is just you to throw us a five-star review and then also write about us on the iTunes thing. Take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knox on iTunes, click that five-star rating and if you have any reviews or feedback or just want to tell us how awesome we are please remember to leave comments we can also be fine wherever you listen to your podcast but itunes is the best way to help the pod. as of now you can also still get 15 percent off at the nba math shop that's com slash shop promo code Beno, b-e-n-o and now we get to the question that matters doubly today andy how are you doing
1: i'm doing good what an intro um I I second that intro in that an excellent graduation slash bar pass gift for me would just be uh, that review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. I'm doing good. (laughs) Yesterday was uh, a relief. I was telling Dan before we started recording that (laughs) I don't know if this is the same in every state, but in Wyoming, if you pass, they call you. And if you fail, they send you a letter, um, which almost seems kind of cruel to me and because of like a technicality in my application i had to wait a week longer than most of my classmates too so the last week has been uh interesting but i finally got the call and now i can breathe a little bit
0: that's still just unbelievable torture
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah a th- a three i mean two months of preparation for that test that the 3 years of law school didn't accomplish and then a month of just waiting and it was uh it's nice that it's all over. Kinda kinda crazy to think that I'm now an adult though, so that'll be fun. I'm Adul- <laughs> in my thirties and I now have to start adulthood.
0: <laughs> you don't ever have to start adulthood.
1: Yeah, that's kinda true.
0: So just just remember that. <laughs> um, we will get to the Southwest division now though. We are going to go in order of decreasing record like we did um, for the, what did we do? Was the Northwest Division? That means we are starting with the Houston Rockets. Their vitals last year, per Cleaning the Glass, they were first in net rating, first in offensive rating, and sixth in defensive rating. What was their best offseason move, Andrew D. Bailey Esquire?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to go with re-signing Chris Paul. I was just sort of scanning over their off-season. And it's going to actually be somewhat difficult for me to pick a worst off-season <laughs> move. It's because it was, um, and I think my summary on that is just going to be, and I think I used the same term last episode, is anti-Mori. It was, it was just an odd summer. Um, and the Chris Paul deal, I, I get a lot of people's concerns that he's going to be pretty old by the time that deal is up. And I think that's a valid concern, but I think he's got a year or two, maybe even two or three years at a really high level still in him. He just finished this season as the number one player in the NBA in real plus minus, Um, which was, you know, when he finally took that spot towards the end of the season, it was kind of surprising because LeBron James and James Harden were both obviously insane all season long, but he's, he's clearly still having a huge impact on the Rockets uh, and if he's even, you know, seventy-five percent of what he was last season, he's going to be really, really, really important to that team. That's a triple, really. Um, so <laughs> well, recent <triple> really. <laughs> Paul, um, concerns with that are fair, but I still think, in in when you look at that entire Rockets offseason as a whole, that's probably the most positive move to me.
0: Chris Paul, it it was just the move they had to make. And
1: yeah, that's
0: true. And I don't think it's a bad move. I just think it's the move you had to make. It, that, that contract, years one and two should be fine. It's going to be insanely interesting to see how that ages beyond that, that second year. For me, their best move was just picking up James Ennis. I thought he would have more of a market in a league. Yes, there wasn't a lot of cap space, but we're we're talking about a wing who can defend twos and threes and and some fours I expect him to maybe get some power forward minutes with the rockets and I know we saw his three point percentage dip uh, below 35% last year to pick up someone though like him at the minimum uh, was just huge to me and I think he's going to be an excellent fit alongside Chris Paul and James Harden. The Rockets generated wide-open three-point attempts with more frequency last year than any other team. I'm not even talking just raw volume, but the percent um, of their three-point attempts, it, it was they had the largest wide-open share in the league. And James Ennis is going to benefit from that. He doesn't take a, a ton of shots off the dribble, is not intended to take these long twos. When he does put the ball on the floor, he tries to get to the rim or or dump the ball off quickly. And I think that's just going to be great for the Rockets. It probably is. And this will dovetail with the next category or overlap with it. It probably does seem even bigger to me just because they, they lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute. So to get someone like him again, at the minimum who you can look at and believe will give you what 75% of what Trevor Ariza maybe did. I know he was really important to what they did defensively at points. Uh, but to get someone like that at the minimum when Trevor Ariza is making $15 million next year, uh, th- that's a great get by the Rockets.
1: Yeah, and like you said, this that does lead kind of well into biggest loss or worst off-season move. In addition to losing Baumut and Ariza, which you just mas- mentioned, here's here are the players they added this summer and each one individually just seems like something with the exception of the guy that you just described James Ennis. Um, each one of these guys just seems like kind of an odd pickup, um, in isolation for, for Daryl Morey, Brandon Knight, Michael Carter, Williams, uh, Carmelo Anthony. Um, is that it? I feel like there was more. Oh, Marquise Chris. That's who I was missing. Um, put it all together. I don't, I don't know if it makes any more sense than, (laughs) than each of those names in isolation. I mean, there's so many, uh, issues with, with every single one of those players. I ended up going with Carmelo Anthony as their worst off season move. And I think, I think there's reason to think it could work. Um, and if you're looking for those reasons, Dan wrote a good piece about it for, NBA math I think that was about as good an explanation as anyone's given for that move uh but I I still have just I've kind of settled into this spot with Melo in the last two or three years where I'm just not sure how much he helps good teams um he was really good on that Knicks team that won in the mid-50s uh a few few years ago had had a mid-50s win total and I think one of those Nuggets teams was really good with him in uh Chauncey Billups but other than that I'm just I'm just not sure he's helped a ton of really good winning teams over his career and last year he actively hurt the thunder um, at least statistically so it's an interesting experiment Um, I get the play from just like a talent standpoint but it's still uh, I I think it's going to be a big big gamble that they're taking here
0: it's telltale of their off season that you went the worst move route rather than the biggest loss, which is just yeah. <laughs> the, the Rockets are just because they wild.
1: had big losses too. Yeah,
0: they're they, but they're just wild because I think they've become a bit overrated. But I I don't see how they're going to be better, as good or as big of a threat to the Warriors as last year. Uh, we'll see if they prove me wrong or us wrong there. Since I think we're kind of in lockstep on that thought. I would say it's it's really tough for me to, to say the worst offseason move is signing someone on a minimum deal. And that's where – the Carmelo Anthony thing is a risk. But at the minimum, it, it's not like they're paying him what the Thunder were paying that's him. That's true. And yeah, so it's a true. minimal risk to me. I think their biggest loss is going to be Luke Bamute. And I think that because he couldn't hit anything during the playoffs. And maybe the Rockets have Intel on his shoulder – that we don't know about, which would explain um, why why they didn't seem like they were very interested in bringing him back. But he's hit his three-pointers at a high enough clip in each of the past two regular seasons. If his shoulder is fine, I, I think it's warranted that we believe he would do so again because of all the things that Chris Paul and James Harden do. But you look more so at the scope of his defense and who he defends. And he matches up with point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, fours, that's versatility that not even Ariza has. And Ariza saw a time against higher profile uh, explosive wings uh, in higher volume. I understand that. But Bamute is someone who makes it easier to hide James Harden because he can take on Um, those smaller guard assignments with the smaller backcourt. And he's also going to make life easier on Chris Paul because maybe you spell Chris Paul from not having to defend some of the top point guards in the league every single possession. You still want Chris Paul on those guys. At the same time, we're talking about Chris Paul entering his age, what is he now, 33 season. And so uh, it's just uh, to have someone like him would have just been so big. And maybe I'm just sort of looking at it through the lens that hey, you have James Eddis, who should be able to replace more of what Trevor Riza did defensively than what Luke Bamute brought you on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I I always remember uh, a regular season game against the Jazz when Bamute just completely neutralized Rudy Gobert. <laughs> they threw Bamute in at the five, and it just completely discombobulated the Jazz. So his his versatility was... Huge for them. That's going to be really, really hard to replace. That's that's for sure. I and I agree co- with their, their ceiling in terms of uh, how well they match up with the Warriors. Does, at least right now, seem like it's it's been lowered a little bit.
0: And also what Bamute did really well last season in Houston. That he never really had the opportunity to do in uh, while he was with the Clippers. He would like put the ball on the floor from the three-point line and and dribble in and finish uh, on drives or or at the the rim. And and so he, again, he shot 50% on drives last year, I believe was the number. I looked this up last night, and I don't know why I didn't bring it up um, this morning. But it's just he did like a lot of these like really good things during uh, the regular season. And I, I think we were kind of, or a lot of people were just kind of fooled into thinking he wasn't as valuable as he actually was because of what happened during the playoffs. Um, and, and so I just think it's it's go- they're going to feel his loss uh, more than Ariza's to me, in large part because of how much respect I have for what James Ennis is going to be able to do to fill the Ariza-sized void. That would bring us to the most likely player to break out on this roster, and it's not D'Anthony Melton anymore. If you want to pick him <laughs> and just talk about the Suns, that's fine too.
1: Yeah. Um, he probably would have been my pick. Uh, I think James Ennis would be a good pick here and you, you have come close to swaying me to that. I mean, he's going to be the starting small forward, I would think. So he's certainly going to have an opportunity. This one was kind of hard to pick too, just because most of these guys have already broken out in some capacity, uh, with the exception of maybe James Ennis. I went with a name that I just kind of (laughs) panned, Marquise Chris. I don't think he's going to play a ton of minutes. um, But I think when he's on the floor, if it's for like even 15 to 20 minutes a game, he's going to get wide open looks at the rim um, at a rate that he just didn't come close to in Phoenix. The way that – if he's willing to you know roll hard to the basket, it's – Harden and, and Chris Paul are to me two of the best pick and roll point guards in the history of the NBA. Uh, to have the luxury of <laughs> having both of them on the same team is just it's a dream come true for a Big Man. I just I couldn't get over that over the course of the playoffs. It didn't matter which big guy was out there setting the screen. They were almost guaranteed to get a bunch of good looks and I think that's going to happen with Marquise Chris. He's super athletic and he's never played with anyone who even approaches the ability of these two guys in the pick and roll. So even if it's a really small role that he plays, if he winds up at some point becoming the backup center, um, and I'm not sure even that's a given that he'll overtake Nene, but if he does, I think he has a chance to be so much more effective than he was in Phoenix, just because he's got two of the best setup guys that I think we've ever had.
0: Daryl Morey did say that Chris was underrated. The other day, and if he's going to make it work as like this trampoline rim runner, it's going to be in Houston because they they just have the space. Like he's going to have wide open lanes to work as the dive man in the pick and roll. I'm I'm interested to see kind of how you mentioned though, how much playing time I'll actually get. My pick, I, I think James Ennis is an interesting pick, but I went with Brandon Knight. Uh, he's only 26. He turns 27 in December, and I think we need to remember that. And if he's going to make it work post-injury recovery, I think Houston's a good spot for him. Maybe you can try and groom him as this Eric Gordon light. He's never going to give you the same sort of pizzazz uh, off the dribble. First of all, Eric Gordon seems to be aging in reverse when you look at his athleticism. And uh, if I was a Pelicans fan, it I've or maybe it is killing Pelicans fans to watch this they have to be a little bit angry they're just like Eric Gordon like basically dunked more times last season than he ever did in New Orleans (laughs) but he this is and we went deeper into this when we did the hour breakdown of that Suns Rockets trade at the end of August so if if you want to hear more about our thoughts on that go definitely go check out that pod but Brennan Knight shot 51.3% when using between three and six dribbles in 2016-2017. The last year he was remotely healthy. The Rockets have now incorporated a lot of these just uh off, off these isolation off-the-dribble plays into their offense, and he's someone who might be able to do that at the same time. He also shot 37.8% on catch-and-shoot threes uh through 2014-2015 and 2015-2016 before that 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 efficiency fell off a cliff in 2016, 2017, the extra space he's going to be given in Houston, coupled with having, like you said, two of the best, not just pick and roll playmakers, but arguably really just two of the best passers of all time uh, in the NBA with James Harden and Chris Paul. When you look at their Chris Paul makes probably more complicated passes. James Harden's cross court passes aren't saying they're both just super accurate and on point that should help him out. And I look at his age and that he doesn't turn 27 to December, if he's healthy and can play and the Rockets don't plan on waving him and stretching him and trying to move him, he, he's someone who I think could make a sneaky impact on this team.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And people do want to hear our one-hour take on the Rockets' uh, Suns trade. There's there's no question about that.
0: That was both impressive and pathetic that we went so long on that trade.
1: <laughs> I'm going with 100% impressive. <laughs>
0: A uh, player most likely to be traded on the Rockets this season.
1: I went with Eric Gordon. I don't think they're going to make a trade. Um, the roster seems pretty set, but if I had to pick one guy who who looks like he has a movable deal right now, I would go with Gordon. I just don't. I don't think they will. He's been so important to them for the last however long he's been there. So I I just I don't see how it would really benefit them he's he's got a somewhat movable deal but I don't think it's good enough value to bring back anyone who's going to help them more than he does if that makes sense
0: you know that Tibbs would take PJ Tucker Eric Gordon a first round pick for Jimmy
1: Butler <laughs> well you, you know that's certainly there you can't rule anything out when Tibbs is <laughs> in the equation
0: I'm kind of with you there I, I don't see an obvious option for this team uh Again, I don't think you get rid of P.J. Tucker unless it's in a trade to get a star, and they just don't have the assets to get a star right now. That said, Maury was speaking with reporters, I think the day before we were recording this, and he said that they do have their first-round pick, so they have some flexibility. Uh, This team is always looking to make moves, so it wouldn't surprise me if they did something. Uh, but they're now just, they don't have like great salary fodder. Eric Gordon is probably the closest they come. Maybe Brandon Knight becomes a little bit more valuable over the summer as an expiring deal. Um, ditto for Gordon, but he, he would be my pick if they're, if they're going to do anything, but I don't really know what uh the target would be at this point. I'm even, I might even be inclined just to say Brandon Knight, because maybe this is, you bite the bullet and you eventually make the deal for Kent Bazemore at midseason or something. And, So one of those Mm. two guys for me, that would be, um, that would be my pick. Uh, that brings us to better defense or offense for this team, which I think is fairly simple.
1: Yeah. Last year, like you said, um, first in offense, sixth in defense and, uh, (laughs) they lost two of their. Main defensive players in Ariza and uh, Mbamute. They added Mello, <laughs> Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris. I, I think it's pretty clearly going to be offense again.
0: Oh, it has to be offense. It just it, it yeah. has to be. Um, it it be if it's not something has gone terribly wrong. Like the like the Mello addition, the Brandon Knight addition. They're getting too many minutes and they're just kind of screwing everything up. But, <laughs> um, so it has to be offense. Do you think they're going to have the best offense in the NBA again?
1: I do not. Um same. They'll they'll be up there. I, I think it'll be kind of like a three horse race between them, the Warriors, and the Nuggets. Those are those are my top offenses this season.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh another easy one, playoffs or nah?
1: Uh yes, very easy. You were right. They're they're making it again.
0: What is their ceiling?
1: I w I kinda waffled on this a little bit as I was looking at it. Um but I ended up going with Western Conference Finals because like we've both said now, I don't think they are as real a challenge to the Warriors as they were last year. So I think, I think their ceiling is now capped at Western Conference Finals.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm basically with you there. I don't see a scenario in which they beat the Warriors four times in seven tries. There's still playoff formalities. They might contend for the number two spot in the Western Conference, but I could also see them... Um, not finishing in the top two as well. If they're going to beat the Warriors, it, it would be a, a war of firepower, and I just don't, I don't think that Houston has enough of it. If if we're just relying solely on on offense,
1: yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and they just don't have the same level of defensive versatility that they had last year.
0: It doesn't seem. Watch them be like third in defense or something. I know.
1: I, I meant to say, like when I was going through these questions last night, I thought I need to mention a couple times that I've just, you never know with Daryl Morey. <laughs> like it, it seems like he's <clears throat> taken these moves that a lot of people consider to be gambles in the past, and he's been right. Um, but I was pretty much with him in regards to James Harden being a point guard and James Harden being able to play with Chris Paul. This is the first year where I'm like, yeah, I, you're, you can't even sell that to me. I just don't get it. Um, so it's, it'll be really interesting to see how this this team comes together over the course of the season.
0: The, the only thing I can really say there is that, and I've cited this stat a zillion times, but per Cleaning the Glass, when they played – with Ariza and Bamute compared to without them, it only changed their defensive rating by about a point per 100 possession. And maybe there's something there, but I think the fact that you can't have either one of them on the court for the entire season could end up being something that does them in. But, hey, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that brings us to the Pelicans. Their vitals per cleaning the glass. They finished 11th in net rating, 11th in offensive rating, 11th in defensive rating. Wow. That's clean. I know yep. NBA.com's rankings are going to vary, but how's that for Symmetry?
1: Um, Yeah, that's amazing. I'm This team is super interesting to me. I'm going to be paying very close attention to them at the start of the season.
0: Does it have anything to do yeah. with Anthony Davis firing his agent?
1: <laughs> um, didn't he hire Clutch, too?
0: That was the rumored favorite. I don't know if it was. I don't think. It was oh, so fishing.
1: he not made that decision yet.
0: What's the best offseason move for them?
1: Um, Julius Randle uh, seems like an obvious call to me. He averaged as a starter last year: nineteen points, nine rebounds, and three assists. Um, and I think maybe even more important than just those raw numbers is he's clearly a power forward. Which means Anthony Davis from day one is clearly going to be a center this year, and I think him at center unlocks things for the Pelicans um, that him at power forward just just doesn't quite get to. He played; these are NBA.com numbers. He played seven hundred and sixty or yeah, seven hundred and sixty-three minutes. This is Anthony Davis with no other centers on the floor last season. And in those minutes, he averaged 30.1 points, 12.3 rebounds, 3.2 blocks, 2.4 steals, 1.9 assists per 36 minutes, had a true shooting percentage barely below 60, Um, and the team had a a 5.5 net rating in those minutes. And their net rating with Davis and Cousins on the floor was 4.2. And then this is a number that I've cited a bunch of times on the pod. When, When it was Davis and Miritich together, the net rating was actually north of 10. So I think Davis at center <laughs> clearly works. And and I think also when he's playing center is when Alvin Gentry was, he started to revert back to that Phoenix Sun style or it was just run, 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 run. And uh, they were, they were an offensive monster once they sort of flipped that switch. So, and I, I think they're going to play that way all season with Julius Randall at the four. Um, and they're just, they're really, really, really interesting to me. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with Julius Randle, even though I probably talked more about Anthony Davis in that little segment.
0: The My one concern um, is there, there are probably going to be minutes where they play all three of them together, and I just Miritich, Randle, and, and Davis. Yeah,
1: that's I, kind of funky, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just a little interested to see how that goes. But I, I think you're right because – you look at it. If things do, you try it out. Uh, you have to try it out. You just have to. And if it goes belly up, then you you go to greater lengths to stagger minutes. And and like you said, it just means that Davis is clearly uh, a five, and that really helps you. Uh, the thing with Davis, the five, by the way, this is for the entire season, and so we're we're taking in minutes where Miritich wasn't there. Uh, the Pelicans, when Ian Clark was off the court and Davis was at center for the season per cleaning the glass, plus 5.9 points per 100 possessions. So that's for the entire season. Like, it's not even just post the Miritis trade. Uh, having Davis at center is just a veritable cheat code for them at this point. I But I have nothing really to add with Randall. I'm, I'm interested to see how he'll do sort of jump-starting the offense when Davis is, is on the bench and just, you know, giving him that freedom to just get up and down the court. Him leading second units could get incredibly interesting there i don't really know that there's another pick for this team though for the best offseason move just unless you're super high on alfred payton or or jaleel okafor still
1: yeah and that those would both be interesting guys to be super high on although i'm i'm i think i'm one of the only remaining survivors of alfred payton island at this point um
0: i can't confirm
1: (laughs) the four or five pick and rolls with randall and davis too uh, assuming they run some of those, and I hope they do; those those should be fun.
0: What was the biggest loss or worst off season move for the Falcons, or move they didn't make? If you don't think that that one qualifies,
1: yeah, I'm going worst off season move route again. And this is uh, much like Mello; it's you know financially not a huge risk, and maybe Jaleel Okafor just ends up being a training camp deal. I mean, there's a chance he doesn't even make the regular season roster, so. This all could be um, – <laughs> this whole discussion could be moot in a few weeks. But I'm going to go with Julio for just because I don't, I, I don't see how he helps many NBA teams at this point. And I'd rather see Chuck Diallo um, just be the clear backup five on this team. I think he has some potential as, as a rim runner. He tops Okafor in, in basically every catch, although not by a ton in a couple of them. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go with Julia local Four. but like you said, this, I might've even been better off searching for a move that they should have made because this was, this was kind of a tough one to pick.
0: Yeah. I went with a move that they should have made type deal and they needed more help on the wings to me Yeah, and someone who can just defend and shoot. Those players do not grow on trees. They did not have cap space. But to me, it's kind of fair to wonder if they could have used their Julius Randle money on that type of player, and maybe the roster looks better for it. Because they don't really need another big. You have Miritich, who's not a three, and you have Anthony Davis, who is a five. And so it seems like that could have worked out there. The problem with thinking that way, of course, is, is who do they side with that money? Because... Yes, you probably could have gotten gotten a Marco Bellinelli, but the Spurs overpaid him, and he's not someone who's just going to move your needle a ton. I just, it seemed, you know, James Ennis, look at what he signed. ended up signing for in Houston. They didn't wait that long to see how the market developed, but that would have been someone uh, who could have been interesting in New Orleans, and... So they did try, they they did throw that offer sheet at Tyrone Wallace. A lot of people didn't think that the Clippers were going to match. And so it's not like they didn't have that in their head. And again, it's easier for me to sit there and and say this. Um, They weren't going to go after someone like Tyree Evans, who's not really 3 and D anyway. They already did that experience, done and over with. I I just kind of wonder if they should have looked harder at allocating that Julius Randle money, that mid-level exception money, uh, to a wing who could shoot or at least really switch defensively. Um and that really would have made their roster more intriguing to me than it is now.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think you could say that pretty much every team in the NBA could use some more wings. So I, I and it's a, like David special-
0: Nwaba would have been nice there. You know again, we yeah. don't know what goes on behind the scenes and Julius Randle is it's it's interesting that I'm saying he was their best move, but their worst move was not using that money on a wing. I understand yeah. that there's a level of hypocrisy there, but they definitely needed... They needed, insofar as as not every team desperately needs a wing, they definitely needed one more than, I would say, two-thirds of, of the league.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: Most Player most likely to break out for the Belkins.
1: I'm going with uh, rookie of the year candidate Frank Jackson. <laughs> Even though he's probably not much of a rookie of the year candidate. But I kind of liked him coming out of Duke. Um, I thought he made a lot of sense for last year's Pelicans team. So it was kind of a bummer that he got hurt and missed the entire season. He is, maybe maybe he's a little bit of the wing help that they need. I know he's seen more as a point guard and he's, he's probably too short. In, in fact, he is too short to guard a lot of, Wings in the NBA, but he played kind of like a wing, at least offensively at Duke. He averaged 19 points, four rebounds, three assists, and almost three threes per 75 possessions at Duke. Um, Shot almost 40% from three, almost 60 true shooting percentage. Um, He was just a really, really solid player for them, I thought. So I think he could be interesting for some backcourt depth for the Pelicans this season. Uh, It's... (laughs) They already have a very small wing rotation when they start Peyton, Holiday, and Moore, one through three, and Frank Jackson kind of adds to that. Um, but I think he's, he's an interesting addition to that backcourt slash wing rotation that they've already got.
0: I'm with you. I don't really think there is another pick. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go with Darius Miller. Maybe he makes more strides at the defensive end this year, and he shot the three-ball extremely well last season and I really like him and he's when you look at kind of the help that they need on the wings he's probably the closest to an in-house solution that they're going to come unless you believe that Frank Jackson is going to be able to play up defensively Um, when Nicole Mirotic Darius Miller and Anthony Davis shared the floor last season per cleaning the glass the Pelicans outscored opponents by 16.2 points per 100 possessions with
1: who Name those three guys again. Anthony
0: Davis, if I misspoke, I apologize. Nicole Miritich and Darius Miller. Okay. 117.8 offensive rating, 101.6 defensive rating. That's just, that's a terrifying number. Sample size wasn't especially huge. Um, Some of those, a lot of those minutes possessions came with uh, Rondo, and that could be something to watch. But I would think a lineup that I really just want to see a ton of is uh, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, Miritich, and Anthony Davis, and I think that could wind up being or should wind up being the Pelicans' best lineup of the year.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And just for the sake of clarification, Frank Jackson measured six four, um, so he's <laughs> right in line with like Drew Holiday and Etwan Moore, another undersized wing for the Pelicans.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't call him a wing; I call him a guard
1: but yeah that's probably fair. He
0: should help their he should help their shooting. uh Darius Miller I we well, we do have to watch and see whether he can replicate his three point performance from last year. 41.1% on 6.6 attempts per 36 minutes is just that's more than dependable. That's just outrageously good. And he's that was really he he shot the three ball before he shot the three ball well in the past once uh 2012-2013 also in New Orleans, but it was just never on that type of volume. And we'll have to see whether he gives an encore, but I I think that he could be a part of some of their best lineups. Like you said, though, I think the pick is Frank Jackson. Player most likely to be traded on this roster.
1: Uh, Another team I just don't think is going to make a trade, but I guess if things start rough and then get worse and worse and worse as we approach the trade deadline, it's got to be Anthony Davis, right?
0: I would disagree, but I'm willing to hear your case.
1: <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, there's there's been so much smoke around him the last couple years, especially, you know, concerning the Celtics and maybe the Lakers. Um, so if if things are going poorly, I could see his, his name popping up in the rumor mill around the trade deadline, although I think the Pelicans are going to be pretty good. So I default back to my original statement that I just don't think it's just hard for me to see a marquee trade. Maybe they trade somebody uh, around the edges of the roster, and that wouldn't be super surprising. Um, but just for the, the sake of keeping it spicy, if things go wrong, I'm going to say Davis.
0: Keeping it spicy. I just don't, <laughs> I don't think you visit the Anthony Davis trade front until next summer. He'll have a year left on his contract. He's, if yeah, he's that's not going to a- sign the designated veteran extension, that's when you look at it. Right now, it's just a non... For me, it's a non-starter if someone's calling about Anthony Davis. And you know the Rockets will. You know the, the Celtics will. I just... I I would... Unless he requests to get out, and I don't think he'll do that unless the Pelicans are really bad. And I guess you can leave that door open. For me, it's Solomon Hill. And here, I know he's not a trade asset. I'm just saying, you look at what he's owed. It's about two years and $25 million. Maybe you can flip that into just a more expensive wing. Kemp Bazemore would be someone. Maybe you could build a package around that that saves the Hawks some money um, in, in the final year of that deal. That would just be something to watch. And they're a team that I expect to be aggressive in any way that they can because they know that Anthony Davis's free agency is coming up. And you want to... Uh, point to him and say, look, we have a good team in place, Like we're ready to do this. It, going after a more expensive player, an overpaid one, which is kind of their, I don't want to say their ceiling in trade talks, but that would be their best way to get an impact addition, would be to, to take on that that player who is overpaid. That does then compromise their cap situation for next summer, which actually looks pretty rosy if you expect Julius Randle to, t- to decline his 9.1%. Million dollar player option, but I do think they'll have to be aggressive because you are on the clock with Anthony Davis. I don't think you need to move him this year, even think about moving him, but you do need to really just impress upon him how close you are uh, to, to competing in in the Western Conference.
1: Yeah, I think that all makes sense. I just um, I wonder how much trade value Solomon Hill has, but like you said, if it's a deal that saves a team money then that certainly adds uh value to that equation
0: yeah and there's you they have some expiring deals with the and uh even alfred payton and maybe there's stuff that could be worked there but it, i would be stunned if if anthony davis was moved before the trade deadline
1: oh it would be surprising and then and like i said i don't think they're gonna make a deal it, it just uh to me that was uh interesting
0: better defense or offense for the pelicans
1: um 11 they were 11th in both according to cleaning glass right yep i'm gonna say offense um like i said earlier i think with davis at the five all season and i think if they play that uh that alvin gentry style all season i think their offense is is definitely going to be better
0: I, i yeah you don't sign julius Randle with the intention of making your defense better <laughs> and he, he improved in some areas defensively last year, but if you're going to play at that type of pace and you're looking at the personnel they have, they just don't have a bunch of uh, these great stopping power wings. And so I, I think it's going to be the, the offense for them as well. Playoffs or nah?
1: I'm going with yes.
0: I would go with yes as well. What do you have their ceiling as? Yes?
1: I'm going to say second round. I, I'm tempted to list like six or seven teams as potential Western Conference finalists. Um, right now I, the question
0: is if you can avoid the Warriors in the first two rounds, that gives yeah. you a chance of the Western Conference Finals.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think this is a team that if they run up against, I, I don't think they can beat Houston or Utah in the second round, maybe even OKC. I think their ceiling is maybe slightly lower than...
0: I think that's fair, and I would probably agree with you. I might be more worried about how they match up with Utah and Oklahoma City at this point than Houston, which maybe that'll look crazy by the end of the season. (laughs) That brings us to the San Antonio Spurs, who did absolutely nothing this offseason, so maybe we can even (laughs) talk about them. Per clean the glass, ninth in net rating, 17th in offense, 4th in defensive rating. What was the what was their best off season move, Andy?
1: Um, I use this word a bunch in the Northwest preview, but I, I'm going to say Demar Derozan by default. Um, I don't <sighs> trading Demar Derozan for Kawhi Leonard in a vacuum seems like a, a Spurs loss, but I get why they did it. I do think he's a pretty solid player. Um, that little thing I do at the end of every season where I average the rankings of players in like seven different catch-all metrics, DeMar DeRozan wound up 26th in that. So he's he's a really good player. And the thing a lot of people have said is you're adding DeMar DeRozan to a 47-win team, which I don't think tells the whole story because that omits the fact that Kyle Anderson and Danny Green aren't there anymore. Um, so I don't know if the Spurs – in fact, I don't think the Spurs got better this offseason. But of all the, the moves that they made um, – DeMar DeRozan looks like the most positive addition to me.
0: Yeah, I. It's it's so tough to. It's just, it's just so weird because DeMar DeRozan's a great player. I yep. just when you're giving up Kawhi Leonard, the package they got to me was just blah.
1: And it's a tough argument to make. That's for sure.
0: I I went with, and and this was sort of a this was sort of a default move to me. I went with re-signing. Uh, Davis Bertans, two years, fourteen million dollars, probably an overpay, but the length makes it very digestible. He is their path to coming somewhat close to modernizing the front court. And I looked this up. And, I love
1: fans, by the way.
0: Yeah, and he's going to space the floor, which is something that LaMarcus Aldridge can do, sort of, but not conventionally because he's not going to take a bunch of three-pointers in volume, and you look at Bertans and and he can be that guy. And I also looked this up, which could get interesting. It depends on how much they want to play Jakob Pertl and Pau Gasol. But in the, the time that uh, Bertans and Aldridge played last year without Kawhi, Kyle Anderson and Danny Green, the Spurs were plus 10.4 points per 100 possessions with an offensive rating of 115.1. The significance of that, even in a small sample size, is that the Spurs' offense was just not great last year. It was good when LaMarcus Aldridge was on the floor, but it still wasn't great. And to have an offensive rating in the 93rd percentile for any remote stretch that spanned more than 250 possessions, I think is a a pretty substantial accomplishment for them. And, And they're going to need Bretons more than ever when you look at just their some of their most important players right now. I mean, we went through this in the previous pod. Their projected starting lineup hit 205 threes last year combined. Joe Ingles at 204 himself. So, yeah. you, you need to provide that spacing and uh maybe they get to a point where they start Bertans and bring Pau Gasol off the bench. That it might all just depend how invested they are are in Jakob Pertle.
1: Yeah. Uh I'm with all that. I love Bertans. The the way he shoots is just uh He has one of those shooting forms that just is almost mesmerizing.
0: Biggest loss or worst offseason move or something that they didn't do that they should have done?
1: Biggest loss to me was pretty clearly Kyle Anderson. Um, That same little exercise I just talked about with DeRozan, Kyle Anderson wound up 35th in the NBA last season, which I think would be a lot higher than most people would guess for him. I think he was a huge part of their success defensively um, he's, he's just an excellent modern four. he doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but he can create from the four, which I think is, um, also pretty valuable nowadays. If you can have kind of a point forward at that spot and he's just, um, he's an advanced stats darling. I, I think that helped their overall, uh, net rating a lot. So <laughs> it's kind of weird to not say Kawhi Leonard. I, I just didn't go with him because I don't think they were ever going to bring him back. I I think they lost Kawhi Leonard long before this offseason, if that makes sense. So I went with Kyle Anderson.
0: Yeah, kudos. I don't know if I ever give you props for that, but you stuck to it. And I was convinced that they weren't going to move him. Uh, The the closest I came to make a good prediction was that I thought it was going to be to a dark horse if they did. Uh, But I was convinced they were going to keep him, just like I was convinced LeBron wasn't going to the Lakers. Uh, You also said that he was going there. There... And Kawhi Leonard is their biggest loss, not up for debate. But just there are so many things that just... I'm just even going to list them off and not explain them. You lose Kawhi Leonard, you lose Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Anderson, and Danny Green, three of your four most important defenders in the same damn yeah. offseason. Yeah. You overpaid Marco Bellinelli. You didn't get one of the Raptors' three or four best young players in the trade for Kawhi Leonard. I like Jakob Pertl, but I'd be more interested... All right, you couldn't have. Tr- they couldn't have traded Van Vliet, uh, but to not get OG Ananobi, who you were probably never going to get given Leonard's contract and health situation, I would have even been more interested in Siakam. I might have been more interested in Dellen Wright. Um, I'm not going to lie there. Th- there's just so much that the Spurs didn't do. To not even get a first round pick, f- forget that it's protected. It's protected for a year, and then it turns into two second round picks. There just seems like there are a lot of missteps in San Antonio's part. Doesn't speak to how I view DeMar DeRozan in a vacuum. I think he is a very good offensive player. And like you've said many times, I think he could end up having a career year with them, particularly on the defensive side. It seems like some of these players just get plugged into San Antonio and they don't look as shitty on defense yeah. anymore. But there there's a lot to choose from in San Antonio, and so I just look at their offseason in sum as this just weird hedge against trying to avoid a rebuild, but not staying in the contender circle. Most likely player to break out on this roster?
1: I went with DeJounte Murray. He kind of broke out last season, and they they basically gave him the point guard position last season. But now Tony Parker's gone, Um, and here comes a patented, weird Andy stat. (laughs) No one in NBA history had a season.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The preface of him to start was just fantastic.
1: (laughs) I was waiting for your reaction. Um, Nobody in NBA history had a season that matched Murray's 2017-18 assist percentage, rebounding percentage, and steal percentage. Now, here's where we're going to get funky. Um, Drop the qualifiers to 20 assist percentage, 10 rebounding percentage, and 2 steal percentage. And the list now has 42 players, um, which seems like a lot. But only 10 of those guys were shorter than Dejounte Murray. <laughs> now, the reason I bring up that seemingly obscure stat is to say that the rest of that list is mostly big guys, and he he provides a combination of things that not a lot of guards over the course of NBA history have provided. He's an a, just an excellent rebounder from the guard position, and one one modifier I didn't even include in that search was blocks. He he can block some shots too. He steals. He gets steals. He gets assists. He fills up the box score pretty much everywhere but points. If he, if he's even like slightly below average as a scorer this year, I I think he could have a huge impact for this team.
0: And that's what it is. He's my pick as well. I I also wouldn't be surprised if it's one of Lonnie Walker or Derek White. One of those I'm, guys I feel like should end up being I'm, in the in the rotation this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were. We looked at them. They're like, oh, the Spurs drafted another gem.
1: Yeah. Derek White is really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, after his summer league, Lonnie Walker yeah. seems like a fantastic human being, and so I just assume he's going to be good at basketball because of karma. But we'll see. Just with with Murray, he he needs to be uh, preferably both, but he needs to be either a threat from three, even as a standstill shooter, or he has to get like this pull up jumper, even if it's not from beyond the arc. Like it can be inside the arc. Uh, he shot thirty one percent on catch and shoot looks last year twenty seven point three percent on spot up threes and he shot thirty three point two percent on pull- up jumpers which actually was higher than I thought that he shot on those so maybe that's something uh that's a good harbinger those pull-ups <laughs> accounted for almost a third of his looks though and to shoot thirty three point two percent on them is is not ideal and he has uh he is pretty reliable when when you're looking at him. Uh, around the basket, he shot fifty-eight point three percent inside of ten feet last year, and that's where most of his shots are coming from. But you need him to develop uh, a jumper, whether it's a pull-up jumper or just to space the floor as a a standstill three-point shooter around LaMarcus Aldridge and Demar Derozan, because this team needs floor balance terribly.
1: Yeah, I totally totally agree with that.
0: Player most likely to be traded?
1: Again, I just I don't think the Spurs are going to make a trade this summer and that's that's not much of a stretch with the Spurs because that basically in season uh Spurs trades. But if I had to pick someone, I'm gonna say Pau Gasol. Um he has I mean maybe it's just as like <laughs> the fact that his contract is big enough to be included in a trade. I just I don't I'm looking up and down the roster and it's just hard to see um who's going to have value around the league.
0: Yeah, maybe Patty Mills, contract still isn't great. Uh, he is including next season or this season, whatever you want to call it, three years and 37.3 million. I think Gasol is the right choice. Um, just because he has that partial guarantee next year. And so theoretically he could help a team save money depending on which contract they're sending back to San Antonio. His partial guarantee though is $6.7 million. That's, like a player's salary.
1: Yeah, that's not... Uh, You're int-
0: taking back a pretty terrible contract for that to make sense. But I'm I'm probably with you there. If it's not him, maybe it's Rudy Gay on the one-year $10.1 million deal. I, 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 it's not him, though. It, maybe it's Pirtle, like Maybe they're sweetening a deal and they find out that they don't need him. I, I think Gasol is the pick, but this is probably a team that's not making a move during the middle of the season. If it is, it might be one that leans toward a teardown because they uh, didn't meet expectations or didn't meet their own expectations, better defense or offense for this team.
1: <laughs> like you said, they lost some really, really important defensive players, probably their three most important <laughs> defensive players. Um, but the gap between their offense and defense last year was huge. And, uh, I'm not sure they got that much, like a whole bunch better offensively either. So I don't think they made up that gap. I think they'll still be better on defense, even though they're not going to be as good league-wide on defense. Um, That's not much of a glowing review, but I I think the defense is probably still going to be their bigger strength.
0: I'm with you there, and maybe the offense is a lot better, but the Spurs just do a fantastic job of controlling the pace and flow of games. 29th in in pace last year, and when you're going to play at that speed, it makes it easier for everyone to defend. You still have Murray, LaMarcus Aldridge. If you're going to give him minutes at the five, he can be kind of an underrated defender there. Uh, May the the wing spots are going to be where it gets difficult. Uh, You know, who do you count on there? Is it Rudy Gay, DeRozan, Walker, Bellinelli? Those guys just aren't these defensive whizzes. I still think though, just because it's the Spurs that Their defense will be better. Again, not a glowing review, but sort of a Spurs of the Spurs type deal. (laughs) Here's an interesting one, though: playoffs are not for them.
1: I went with no. Um, I'm just I'm sticking with those predictions we made a little while back. I don't think the Spurs and the Blazers are going to make the playoffs of that crazy bloodbath that is like three through ten or whatever it is in the West. Um, I think those are going to be the unfortunate. guys who miss, the Spurs and the, the Blazers?
0: I'm going to say yes. And I think we do have to give some credit to how much DeRozan will sort of help them. This is a team that won 47 games last year without Kyle Leonard, and now you're bringing in DeMar DeRozan, who kind of showed for the first time that he can lead lineups without a Kyle Lowry safety net in Toronto. He played 1,000 possessions without Kyle Lowry last year, and during that time, Toronto was uh, had a plus 9.2 net rating. The defense was not good, um, that I'll say, 113.4 defensive rating, but the offense was fantastic, offensive rating of nearly 123. I think he's going to help them enough, and I'm low enough on the Timberwolves and skeptical enough on the Blazers that I don't think it'll take much to go right for the Spurs to get into the playoffs. Once they get there, I don't see their ceiling being more than a surprise uh, second round appearance. And that might even be a stretch because if they make the playoffs, there's a really good chance it'll be as the 7 or 8 seed. And they don't match up particularly well with the Warriors or the Rockets.
1: Yeah, that's how I feel. I I put first round as their ceiling if they do get in the playoffs, and it's just for that reason.
0: Now we get to your favorite team the Dallas Mavericks. Um I didn't mention these in the vitals. The Rockets were 65 and 17 last year, the Pelicans were 48 and 34, the Spurs as I just said 47 and 35. The Mavericks were 24 and 58. Um their vitals per cleaning the glass were why can't I find them per cleaning the glass? This is awkward. I'm like missing And hey ones. I'm, what's that? Well, here got, they are. They were 22nd I don't know why I just like couldn't find the DAL. Uh, Real-life problems going on over here, folks. Uh, Dallas, 22nd in net rating, 24th in offensive rating, 16th in defensive rating. What was their best move of the offseason, Andy?
1: Um, Luka Doncic, the trade to move up and get him. He, uh, last year in Europe... Uh, EuroLeague and Spanish ACB combined, he averaged 20.3 points, 7.6 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 2.1 threes, 1.6 steals per 36 minutes, had a true shooting percentage near 60. Um, he had a 6.4 box plus minus in EuroLeague and a 7.7 box plus minus in the Spanish ACB. Um, shout out to Jacob Goldstein for calculating those. Those box plus minuses were second in both the EuroLeague. That EuroLeague BPM was second in that Spanish ACB. The box plus minus was second, um, and those are two leagues that, despite what some egg avies on Twitter will tell you, are just significantly, <laughs> <laughs> significantly better basketball um, than the NCAA. I had uh, I actually asked an NBA player about that this summer, um, who's who's spent time both in the NBA and a lot of time in the Euro League how much better is European competition than the NCAA? And I, I don't have his answer. Um, I wonder if I can find it really quick. Something about he, – he thought that um, the best team in the NCAA would lose to like a middle-tier European team by 50 points. Um I wish I could find his actual answer, but it was it was basically like it's it's just a it would be a, a bloodbath, um, especially if Real Madrid, which is one of the best teams in Europe, played any of these <laughs> college teams. It's just not even close the level of competition. So for him to put up the kind of numbers that I just rattled off at such a high level and at such a young age, this guy is still just 19 years old. Um, I, I I think this was a home run of a move by the Mavericks. Um, I'll nitpick it a little bit later, um, <laughs> <laughs> but just getting Luka Doncic I think was huge.
0: Oh, for sure. The first round pick they gave up makes me a little uneasy just because we know they had the opportunity to take on Baysmore instead of giving that up. But if they really are low on next year's draft, that pick will probably convey to Atlanta anyway. Doncic is the player that's going to make every team that passed on him look Foolish, and I think you can even include the Phoenix Suns in there, who drafted DeAndre Ayton, who is the clear number one to a lot of people, and he should be a fantastic NBA player. Moves like a guard on the offensive end. No one's immune from being under being in that category, though, of just having the buyer's remorse that DeAndre Ayton could be an all-star. Same for Trey Young, and both Atlanta slash Phoenix could still come to regret that they didn't take Doncic. He just has that transcendent skill set, and you watched more of him than I did. But what I'll say is to have someone that young look so comfortable hitting these ridiculously tough shots off the dribble, I just don't. And to have the size that he does, so this isn't an undersized Trey Young who is doing it at Oklahoma, Yeah, mind-melting to me. And yeah. very clearly their best move of the offseason.
1: I found that quote. He said, if the top college team played the worst EuroLeague team, the Euro team would win by 55. I mean, they almost beat NBA teams. Um, and I think Real Madrid even did beat OKC in a preseason game a couple years ago. So it's it's just – it's not close.
0: <laughs> Best uh, – excuse me, worst offseason move, biggest loss, or or something that they didn't do that they should have?
1: Um, so this is what I was hinting at. I, I think their biggest loss was next year's first-round pick. Uh, the rumor right before the trade was made that Atlanta wanted to get off of Kent Bazemore's salary – I think Dallas should have just done that deal, especially if, cause they said that one of the reasons they weren't taking on money is cause they wanted to compete now or something like that. But I think Baysmore would have helped them compete now. In fact, I think he would have, um, he, if he was on that team, he should probably play more than Wesley Matthews. So I, that, that part of the deal was a little bit weird to me. If they had the opportunity to get Doncic without giving up a first round pick, I'm still a little confused why they didn't go ahead and do that.
0: This steps on the toes of your answer. I was just, they should have found a way to take a flyer on a wing. And I think that Bazemore would have been that player. Looking at all the injuries that Wesley, Wesley Matthews has had, uh, he Bazemore is probably more valuable to them uh, than Matthews. And he also provides another layer of playmaking that Matthews really doesn't. I, but But even independent of that, you use all of your cap space on the Andre Jordan like where were you as like the? It, it seems like they're trying to win. We saw what James Ennis signed for in Houston. Maybe he was only willing to do that for the Rockets. Where were they on like the Glenn Robinson and the Travion Graham fronts? Just like those type of players, uh, that or David Noaba, like those were just a like a cheaper wing, just someone that they could have gotten um, because it does seem like they need a little bit of help there. Unless they're really still high on Dorian Finney Smith, and I'm not sure that he's going to ever help them much on the offensive side, but it's, it's the same kind of just steps on the toes of the base base, more sentiments that you had player most likely to break out on the Mavericks.
1: Um, this is going to be cheap, but I'm going to say Luka Doncic.
0: That's it. All right. We'll just leave it there. Um, I, I agree. I think it's most likely to be Doncic. I do worry about how much control over the offense he will have, but mm. Dennis Smith Jr. I think this could be the this could be the season where you just look at him and I know that his numbers were not great uh, last year. His efficiency was just rock bottom level. He also had the seventh highest usage rate in NBA history among rookies, and he showed he showed flashes uh, last year. Was better at finishing around the rim as the season wore on. Does need to kind of hone his. Uh, jumper in general, but also his pull-up jumper. I see him having the tools, though, to be a lot better defensively this year. And maybe they're going to give him more freedom than they will, Doncic. It's kind of neck and neck to me for them. But uh, if Doncic is going to be the better player. I don't know who will be better next year. But those two guys, they have, and that says a lot about maybe the Mavericks straddling this line between rebuilding and competing. They have two guys that I think have legitimate cases for monster breakouts next season.
1: Yeah, I'm totally fine with picking Dennis Smith there. Um, he showed some things in the second half of last season that were, uh, I think, certainly encouraging.
0: Player most likely to be traded on the Mavericks. Uh,
1: this was another tough one. <laughs> I went with Wesley Matthews, Wesley Matthews just because he's an expiring contract, and I look up and down that roster, and again, it's hard to see like super movable deals.
0: Yeah, he would. He would probably be. He probably be my yeah. pick too. I don't know what you turn him into because they're clearly reluctant about jeopardizing their cap space uh, for yeah uh, two thousand nineteen. So, but yeah, he would definitely be the, the most likely option. The note I will add, and I know that DeAndre Jordan wasn't necessarily a bad pickup. You didn't need to spend all your cap space on DeAndre Jordan. In my mind, it helps to kind of have a. I, Derek works best as a center, it seems like, but you kind of also need like this big man buffer to protect the rim when he's on the floor. It just seems like couldn't have Ed Davis have done like a, a lot of what DeAndre Jordan's going to yeah. bring to the table for much cheaper, and then that would have given you money to spend on the wing. I, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that was just the point I wanted to make. Um, I,
1: yeah, I think DeAndre Jordan is still really good, but I never thought about. I think Ed Davis is pretty underrated. Um, that was a steal by the Nets. Yeah,
0: that was that Ed Davis and Travion Graham. They had, uh, they had a, they had a heck of of an off season. Uh,
1: Sean before, Marks.
0: Yeah, and um, just for Dennis Smith Jr., the number that I wanted to bring up, he shot sixty three percent inside of five feet after the All Star break, sixty percent inside of eight feet after the All Star break, sixty four point five percent inside the restricted area after the All Star break, and he got to the rim pretty readily, and that's why th- there's a recipe for him to have. Uh, to take some major strides forward. I'm, I want to see a lot of minutes with both him and Doncic on the floor, though, and I'm hoping the, Ma- the Mavericks don't uh, curtail that because they're too worried about winning. Better defense or offense for this team?
1: Um, I'm going to piggyback your Smith comment real quick first. Uh, from March 1st to the end of the season, which was it was only 15 games, but he averaged 17 points, 7 assists, 3 rebounds, 42% from the field, and 34 from 3. So there's certainly reason. Uh, for optimism for him I went with um I think their offense will get better but I I think this is a team that's just coached in a way like the Spurs where the defense is just going to be solid by virtue of the fact that it's the Mavericks and Rick Carlisle which is kind of funny because 10 years ago it was offense (laughs) as soon as you're talking about the Mavericks so um I'm gonna go with defense but but not by a lot
0: I think it might actually be defense by a fair margin. Doncic is going to help their offense, and maybe having the a rim runner like Jordan will, will help them offensively too. And Dirk is just fantastic when you look at how he uh, stretches defenses way for thin. But it's like you said, they're well coached. I think you look at their defensive rating every year, and you find, or from last year, and the fact that they were average, uh, despite around average, despite only winning twenty four games, is. Is pretty incredible, and you just look at—they uh, they were fifth in uh, defense in points allowed per 100 possessions after committing uh, a turnover last year per cleaning the glass, and that's like to have a team that is just going to get back. Um, they were ninth in defensive efficiency off of live rebounds per cleaning the glass. They're a team that's just going to get back. Harrison Barnes remains an underrated defender. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is eventually going to be good at that end. Maybe it's this season. Wesley Matthews is a bit of a wild card after his latest injury, but he's always kind of hustled um, at that end. And Jordan, he should help kind of the center spot. And he's another big who, like Dwight Powell, is going to help make sure that uh, you do a fairly good job on, on the defensive glass. and uh, Or they'll box out guys so that Dirk Nowitzki can clean up a lot on the defensive glass. I don't know where they'll end up ranking, but they have a better chance, to me, of having a top ten defense than a top ten offense. Totally true. Playoffs are not nah for them.
1: I'm going with no. Um, although, as as you've given me a hard time a <laughs> couple times, I do, <laughs> I still think they can approach forty wins. Like wow, battle wow. or five hundred record. Um, so even then, they're not going to make the playoffs.
0: That's their ceiling for you. Is the forty wins or five hundred record?
1: Yeah. I'll I will say forty-two wins is their ceiling, which is that's pretty high considering they just won twenty-four.
0: I'm gonna say playoffs not, and I'll give them thirty-five to thirty-seven win ceiling. I just don't I don't know how you talk yourself and may, maybe I'm wrong, but if I get if Donchus just comes on and he's like a a better shooting version of Ben Simmons or something, I maybe
1: I like here's here's my thing. I think Rick Carlisle is um he's at least top five and I think he could probably make an argument. He's even better than that as a coach. They had a couple of lineups last year that were excellent. Like that, that super small lineup we've detailed a few times on the podcast with Berea, um, Devin Harris and who am I missing? There was one other guard in there. Um, Oh, well it, it'll come to me later. Um, that lineup was, was really, really good. And I think if they have, the directive to be competitive this year, um, I think they could be a really tough out for a lot of teams so I, I'm just kind of defaulting to Rick Carlisle on this and the fact that he has a little bit more talent to work with now and if they're actively trying to win games which I don't think they were for basically all of last season, this is going to be a it's, it's just going to look like a much different team and having said all that, I still don't think there's any chance they make the playoffs. <laughs>
0: Uh, brings us to the final team in the Southwest Division, the Memphis Grizzlies. Not sure how much their 2017-2018 vitals matter because talk about a tank job. Yeah. 26th in net rating, 27th in offensive rating, 24th in defensive rating, all per cleaning the glass. They did a, a fair amount this offseason. What was your favorite move for them, Andy?
1: Um, best addition for me was Jaron Jackson. These are uh, – college basketball references only tracked Box Plus Minus since to the 2010-11 season. Uh, so this is a pretty limited sample. But if you just look at freshmen who played 500 minutes, at least 500 minutes, here's the top five in Box Plus Minus. One, Anthony Davis. Two, Carl Anthony Towns. Three, Jaron Jackson Jr. Four, Joel Embiid. Five, Nerlens Noel. That is
0: just uh, a Zatz tweet. That yeah, a <laughs>
1: he's a uh, he. He was a monster uh, on like a per minute basis last season. He looked ridiculous um, in summer league. Uh, he was just eye popping in Salt Lake. I think he's going to be really, really good. I to me, he was the number two prospect uh, behind Luka Doncic in this draft. So to get him where they got him was was kind of a coup by the Grizzlies. I think that's to me that's clearly their best off move
0: same and i think he was the number 2 prospect in the draft as well i wor- i worry about how much freedom he's going to get in memphis though just because you look at having now kyle anderson's going to take over some of the ball handling responsibilities you have mike conley you have marcus All. how much are they going to play him is he even have we seen anything on whether he's going to start do they still consider Jamichael green they're starting for, and when you look at what he did in summer league, I want to—I don't just want to see him spotting up from beyond the arc and, and playing defense and crashing glass. I want to see him with the ball in his hands. When you look at what he was able to do in summer league, this is a guy who's who should be a, a very efficient, very exciting playmaker off the dribble. And I'm hoping—I understand that the Grizzlies are—they're are, trying to win, but they need to find room to to let him grow. They they need to give him a long leash, and I'm, I'm hoping that they. They do just that. He just seems that like, he just seems like he checks every single box that you want in today's NBA. He's like a big who plays like a wing, which is like you want that size, and it's not even like a a Kristaps Porzingis or a or a Karl Anthony Towns or a Miles Turner. It's a it's more. He's closer to just Anthony Davis on that level with just more off the dribble vision. And that's not saying he's gonna be better than Anthony Davis. I'm just that's like the archetype. And to not give that player free reign would just be brain-bending to me.
1: Yeah, if they don't if they don't start that way, I hope they eventually find uh, plenty of minutes for him.
0: Well, there's going to be a point, spoiler, that they're going to realize that they're not making the playoffs probably, yeah. and, and maybe that's when it turns. Uh, biggest lost or worst offseason move or something that they didn't do that you wish they did?
1: I'm going to backpedal real quick. That Mavericks lineup that I was referencing, it was their second most used lineup last season. J.J. Berea, Yogi Ferrell is the guy I couldn't remember. And Devin Harris were one through three.
0: It's just anyone that, who goes to the Kings, you instantly forget about. Carry on.
1: <laughs> it's that uh, Lion King meme, that shadowy area we don't go to. Um, <laughs> he, that that lineup, Berea, Ferrell, Harris, Nowitzki, Powell almost had a 20 net rating, and it was their second most used lineup. So um, I, I think the Mavericks will be slightly unleashed. Now, back on track. Um, biggest loss for the grizzlies i went with tyreek evans um i get why they had to move on from him but just looking at last season alone the the grizzlies had a plus 0.3 net rating when tyreek evans was on the floor as bad as they were they were still positive with evans on the floor and when he was off they were minus 11.2 which is just a a huge swing um again i get why they had to move on but if we're just looking at like the impact it's going to have on them as a basketball team uh, losing Tyreek Evans certainly hurt.
0: And if you weren't going to resign him, or knew that he was going to get that just inflated yeah. one-year offer, Seriously. why didn't you trade him? Yep. I just, I, it's just that was uh, insane to me. And maybe it comp- Mike Conley's return complicates things because it's someone else who has the ball. But I'm excited to see Evans play with Victor Oladipo, and I don't think that you know Mike Conley's probably more accustomed to playing off the ball at this point than Oladipo or at least just as and and it could have worked and you gave up someone who shot almost 40 percent from three uh he probably won't replicate his excess off the dribble from last year i I think he hit like 37 percent of his pull-up threes i'll have to double check that but uh, you should have moved him if if you had the sense that uh that could sort of happen and uh even if you don't want to blame them for it if it's just something oh they didn't trade him because they thought they were going to be able to keep him and And they didn't. That's a big loss. And he shot 40.8% on 3.3 pull up attempts per game uh, last season. Tyreek Evans. That's nuts.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: What's the. It'll help with Kyle Anderson because with Evans gone, now you do have. Anderson takes over the playmaking, but just the floor spacing, um, the speed, even, and the ability to really pull up off the dribble, maybe. A lot of people trust Anderson's kind of floater in mid-range game five, but then you lose that floor spacing element for now. You probably gain some things defensively. So maybe it's more of a lateral move or perhaps just a better fit than we think, but I think Evans was the cleaner fit for Memphis than Anderson. Most likely player to break out on this roster.
1: Um, I'm going with Jaron Jackson. Again, I'm not going to be quite as uh, short as I was with the Luka Doncic breakout, um, just because while you were talking about Cal Anderson, I just randomly thought. Um Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson, four or five minutes could be really interesting for them. So uh Ooh. yeah. Four or five pick and rolls with those two. That's that's very intriguing to me. I'm going with Jaron Jackson here.
0: I think it is going to be Jaron Jackson. Uh we do need to shout out Dylan Brooks though. I think he
1: plays all- better than I thought he'd be last year.
0: Yeah he played in all eighty two games last year Um, He shot 35.6% on four three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Not someone who's going to really be the engine of an offense ever, nor will he be put in that role. He had some freedom to attempt pull-up jumpers last year, but he shot under 30% on them. What's interesting to me, I think he can match up against some of the, the smaller okay wings in the league defensively, and having minutes with him in, and Kyle Anderson really helps the switchability of your defense, and Jaron Jackson in there as well. Uh, another thing that he kind of brings, and maybe you don't need this uh, now that you have Kyle Anderson, but it's it's worth mentioning. Uh, looking at how you lost Tyreek Evans, he can try and run some half court pick and rolls. He wasn't great when doing that last year, but they really had him do the, do it a bunch, and he you just gain a feel for the game when you do that and so if you have just this other person who's comfortable handing the ball especially when you know that Mike Conley's battled injuries on and off over the past three years he Brooks also shot a respectable 48.4 percent on drives uh, I, I just like him and I think he deserves a mention They're they're still going to play him he might even be their starting two at this point I would hazard uh because you're not is it Marshawn Brooks maybe Wayne Seldon Perhaps, but I like Dylan Brooks, and so we'll see how committed the Grizzlies are to developing while attempting to win once we look at just the minutes and the volume that are enjoyed by Brooks and um, Jaron Jackson Jr. They'll be good barometers for like where the Grizzlies are sort of leaning at this point. Uh, player most likely to be traded.
1: I went with Mark Gasol. I don't know how much trade value he has, uh, and maybe he rehabs it a little bit this season when he actually wants to play. <laughs> he just seemed like he didn't care for big portions of last season, which is understandable when you're yeah, a really good
0: fired. player. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when you're a really good player and your team is actively trying to lose, and yeah, the whole David Fisdale thing was super weird, um, but he's on a... I don't want to say it's a pseudo expiring because I don't I don't see how he can turn down his twenty six million dollar option for next season, um, but maybe if he has a little bit of trade value, and you think Jaron Jackson looks good enough to to become the guy at center right now, maybe you start entertaining that possibility. But I just don't know. Uh, I don't know how many teams around the league are going to be willing to take on his salary for the next two years. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with Marcus All.
0: My pick is Jermichael Green, expiring contract, and not that he's – I like Jermichael Green. We know this. Um, I saw someone gave him in NBA math crystal basketball ranking. Someone gave him a one, and I know that someone, and I yelled at him.
1: Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that's probably – that's that's too far.
0: Yeah, he's just
1: this –
0: he's this portable big, and there might be a team – You now that you have Jaron Jackson Jr., you might just kind of view him as irrelevant. You're probably not going to resign him next summer. Um, and, and there will be a team out there that could, that, that's a big, we talk about the market for bigs. It's easier to me to find a home for Jermichael green than it would be for Marcus Saul and salary is a part of that, but also just in terms of function today. And if you just look, they have temple who was a good pickup for them. I thought, by the way, on his expiring contract, you have Wayne Selden too, who who's very interesting as a shooter and just like this bouncy guy off the dribble. Uh, they could build some interesting trade packages midseason. If they find out that they're in the playoff hunt and they're looking just for an upgrade and Temple and Green and Seldon are all kind of playing these bit roles combined and, and they want to look to swing for the fences, uh, th- they could do something there. But uh, I would go with just Jermichael Mi- Green, if only because Jared Jackson Jr. has the chance to just play him, maybe not out of the rotation, but but definitely out of a role that gives him even 15 minutes per game.
1: Yeah, I think that's all true. Can you hear my daughter yelling at our dog? No, I cannot. Okay, good.
0: Is she being She's... nice to the dog? I love dogs. Tell her to stop being me.
1: So she her and Koji are best friends. Um, but she loves trying to boss him around. It's pretty funny, actually.
0: Better him than really? you,
1: I guess, right? <laughs> oh, I, I trust me, I get it too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, better defense or offense for this team? Why don't you ask your daughter? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, she would be a good consultant on this. I'm gonna go with uh I'm going to go with defense for them. Uh, If Mike Conley, Marcus all are healthy. That's a, that's a great foundation for a defense right there. And I think Jaron Jackson, we have both said it is, is has the chance to be a really, really good defensive player too. So I think it's defense and and Kyle Anderson, we've already mentioned him as one of the most important defensive players for the Spurs last season. So they've got a lot of good ingredients for defense.
0: I think it's going to be defense too, but I'm more cautious than I feel like I should be on it. Uh, you just I Jaron Jackson Jr. is a rookie, and let's see how much they're gonna play him first. And the the more important thing to me is just that Marcus Saul is 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 he still a a really good defender? And the answer to me is, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say he's not a really valuable defender anymore. And just if you're asking him to move around at all on the defensive end, like it, it poses problems. Opponents last year shot fifty nine point two percent against him at the rim, which is not great. Um, you look at the time that he spent defending pick and roll men, and he allowed one point zero two points per possession. That was in the forty first percentile. It's not going to get any easier in today's league to build a good defense with Demar. With Demar, wow, with Marcus All as your center. Age thirty three season move it, if you move him outside the paint with any of the contemporary bigs, uh, he just doesn't have the the pop to really get to closeouts. I don't know he's not going to switch. Um, he can do fine when he's dropping back and you know you're trying to ward off ball handlers that way. He's very smart, high IQ basketball player. Their defense is at risk of kind of surrendering ground to their offense though. Which might just be a testament to how good Mike Conley is offensively. What Kyle Anderson might be able to do for them. Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. himself, and Marcus All himself. I think it's going to be closer though than it than it would be in a typical year.
1: I think Marcus All can still be pretty good defensively if he's motivated. I, I think a huge part of his season last year was just the fact that he he checked out.
0: I mean, that's fair. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree but with you, but we're there's, talking there's, about a plotting 33-year-old big man. Yeah, and I, just, I was
1: going to say there's certainly merit to your argument. There's um, there's plenty of reasons to think that he's he's going to be even slower next year. So yeah, I'm I'm with you.
0: It's just if if you're playing – like he's someone I think that can get played off the floor. When you look at Rudy Gobert, even Clint Capella to some extent, can, they're not going to get played off the floor by um, the Rockets who have Capella, but by the Warriors – or by the Celtics, or one of those teams, I think you can play Marc Gasol off the floor and do so with some semblance of ease. Huh.
1: Well, this is one that we have a slight uh, difference of opinion on. I'm not as low on Gasol. I, I think he'll be.
0: Well, I didn't decent. call him a piece of shit. I just don't. <laughs> I, I don't think he can be the anchor of a top tier defense anymore. And if you believe, I believe their defense is going to be better, but it might. Have more to do with it to me now. It has more to do with having Jaron Jackson Jr., a healthy Conley, and Kyle Anderson than it does Gasol.
1: That's fair. Uh, let the record reflect that I did not say that.
0: That you well, you basically made it come off that I thought Marcus Gasol was a POS, so that's just how to clarify <laughs> playoffs or nah for the Grizzlies.
1: Um, this is an easy, well, I think, a, a pretty easy. No, I'm not just gonna say easy, um, and I think their ceiling is. I think this is another team that if they stay healthy could could fight for like a 500 record. But that's just not going to be good enough in the West to get in.
0: I'm with you on that. Uh, I just – it's going to be uh, – I'm, I'm at this like hedging point. It's going to be closer I think if they stay healthy. If it becomes clear that they're not going to make the playoffs and they veer towards tanking again. Maybe they try and trade Conley or Gasol but I don't really know what the markets for them would be. That's where they kind of fall out of the – race completely and I think they're they certainly deserve to be mentioned in that category with the Mavericks the Suns there there are just going to be teams that pivot into this tank they could be one of them I was shocked to see that the Mavericks had better betting odds to win the Southwest than the Grizzlies Uh, if they're healthy Mike Cudley and Marcus all alone feel like they're good for a 500 record and that doesn't make them a playoff team but I think that makes them a a tough beat and just a quality squad in general. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I expect them to be better than the Mavericks. And that's not me to attack. I'm not trying to attack the Mavericks here. Uh, I do like Domjic as, as we know, but the Grizzlies, I think we maybe sometimes forget, and I just crapped all over Marcus All. but I think we sometimes forget how valuable that core is. And now you add uh, Anderson, not the cleanest fit, but we both really like Jared Jackson Jr. I like Dylan Brooks. They have some interesting pieces on the team.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I actually think that's kinda weird too, that Dallas um has better odds than the Grizzlies. Cause I think if the Grizzlies are healthy, they're they're a more likely five hundred team than
0: I know Dallas. it speaks more to what the betters are doing, but maybe it's also just a nod that they'll give up quicker than Dallas, which I also don't see yeah. because it seems like they're trying to hang on longer than they should.
1: Yeah. And it could certainly all fall apart pretty quickly if Mike Conley gets hurt again. So Yeah. Um all right, I think that wraps us up. We've hit all five southwest teams In if under have,
0: 90 minutes you're
1: welcome yeah if you have uh anything to add anything to complain about hit us up on twitter uh as you know dan is at dan Favalle, f-a-v-a-l-e i'm at andrew d bailey the show is at hardwood knox the sponsor is at nba underscore math um as always leave us ratings reviews uh all that stuff is great. We sincerely appreciate it. Uh, right now you guys should go on and just leave reviews that say congratulations to Dan. Cause he's getting married this weekend. Um, so shout out to him and his, uh, lovely fiance. Um, have fun with that, by the way. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> until next time we leave you with the shout out to Ben Audrey and Kyle Anderson. Nobody builds five G like Verizon builds five G.